please pray with me. Oh, Lord Jesus, I love that gospel story of how you reached into the lives of two very bewildered and discouraged men and you drew them into your resurrection presence. And that's just the way that you would love to engage with us this morning. You're here to engage with us that we might engage with you. Lord, I pray that that would be so. I pray that that prayer would be realized, especially in this epiphany season when it's a time for that resurrection life to be manifest in our lives and in the scriptures and in every way. We pray this in your holy name. Amen. Well, I've been looking forward to the beginning of this season and this sermon series for quite some time. Engaging with God for change. And I want to start by telling a story. Um, it comes from my recent past. Most of you know that I was in Jerusalem last summer. And of course, when you go to the Holy Lands, it's usually a pretty high-impact experience if you're a, a person of faith, really almost any of the major faiths. But especially, I would say, if you're Jewish or you're Christian, it's powerful. It's really deeply meaningful. And I knew going into it, I was going to be changed forever. I mean, you can't walk the Holy Land and then still read Scripture the same way. But there was something that I hadn't fully anticipated that was one of the most profoundly impactful experiences I had while I was there. In advance of my trip there, I, um, I reached out to one of our friends, dear friends of the Engstroms, and now a, a dear friend of mine. His name is Ofer. He's a pastor in Jerusalem. He, he, we were blessed to have him speak here last year at one of our Oasis services. And uh, I called him up and I said, Ofer, I'm gonna be in the Holy Lands. As you might expect, I'm going to all the major sites and I'm sure it's gonna be a great blessing, but I have this sense from the Lord, I'm supposed to let you pick a place that you take me to that's really meaningful to you and that you think would be meaningful to me. And he said, oh, I'll have to think about that. So he did, and he prayed about it. And he picked me up one evening in June in a beautiful warm evening with the sun shining. It was like this light except much more golden and it was definitely a lot warmer. And he picked me up at my hotel, and he took me out west of Jerusalem, six or seven miles, and we're starting to go up in the hilly part of the countryside, and it's beautiful, and it's sweeping, and it's grand, and it's kind of mountainous, and then we're going into this very remote area there, and there's nobody around. It's just this beautiful nature. So much of it green now because of all the forestation that Israel has done since they took over in the 60s. And it's quite breathtaking. And we get out of the car and we start walking on this, this stony path. And I can feel every pebble under my feet because, of course, I'm wearing my, my, my barefoot sandals. And all the dust and the grit is getting in between my toes and I can feel all of that. And um, I just feel so connected. But then the light, in, it's like a, it is a golden light. It's so beautiful. It's so gentle and warm. And there's a light breeze. On, and you can feel that. And I just start to feel like, man, I'm, I'm in the presence of the Lord. I'm in the presence of the Lord. It was almost as if I'm in this space with Ofer. And I know this is meaningful to him. I don't even know why. But him taking me there was part of it. And it's pregnant with palpable meaning and presence of God. And he says to me, do you know where you are? And I'm like, I don't know, I, I, I don't know. Is this, is this a remnant of paradise? I, I don't know where I am. I, and it almost echoed in my mind like, 
God saying to Adam and Eve, where are you? (laughs) Do you know where you are? Return to me. I want to engage with you. I could use that as part of our sermon series. Do you know where you are? I said, no, tell me, where am I? He said, you're on the road to Emmaus. He had taken us right up to this place on this old Roman road. There's still a remnant of it there. It's, it's, a, it's a little bit pebbly at this point, rocky. But um, here it was just shining with light and splendor. There's some pictures of it. It's on, it's on my Facebook. I, I think Lisa will try and get some of them maybe up on, under this sermon if we can figure out how to do that. It cannot possibly capture the way in which the Lord was present to me at that moment. And there, was a, there were a couple words that came to me. It, it was something like, this evening sun, just like that evening sun long ago when those disciples were walking with, with Jesus, this evening sun is a minister of my son Jesus. It's a minister of his presence right now, of that light that never sets and I want you to receive it. And there was this sense of a new creation, kind of a reality. You know how it says in Genesis, it was evening and it was morning, a new day. And I felt like the Lord was saying, this is evening, but in the light of the resurrection, it's a new day. It's a new day of the new creation. And I felt like the Lord was saying, this is the light I want you to walk in from now on. This is my presence. I want you to walk in it. I want you to receive and engage with me in this presence. And I knew that this entire year, in many respects, was meant to be an experience of walking with the Lord in his presence. And so in some ways, I think that's exactly what the Lord shows us in the road to Emmaus. And I was just kind of getting a very, I guess you could say, current experience of it through the blessing of my dear brother Ofer, who I think was really listening to the Lord. I know it's really meaningful to him, and I'll get to that perhaps in in a little bit if we have some time. But this picture of this enfolding love there and this light and this idea that we're meant to walk in this presence, this year is meant to be an extended walk with Jesus, an extended conversation, extended walk, a talk walk, if you will, this entire year in his presence. And the reason he wants to do it is because he wants us to be well. He wants us to be fully alive. He actually wants to take us on a journey where we go from, say, sickness to health, or from strength to strength, or from glory to glory. And he knows that some of us are actually headed in the wrong direction in our lives, and he wants to come into our lives in such a way that we engage with him, and he turns us around. Okay, so Becca's prompting me here. And and what she's trying to say, if I can interpret Becca, I'm getting better at that, is this card is a picture of it, right? And so this, this, this is the theme that we have. You'll see it pictorially on the website of this Road to Emmaus walk. And one of the things that Becca always points out, she says, see all of those glorious lights, the, 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 the reds and the blues, and it's coming in behind these three figures that are walking there. That's an external picture of the light that was starting to rise in their own hearts. It's like Peter says, pay attention until that light rises in your own heart and walk in that light forever. It's just an incredible picture of what it looks like to engage with God for change. And yet the way of engaging with God for change is quite different from all other forms of engagement. And um, we actually have to learn a different way 
our ways of doing life and trying to engage with life often fall short of the fullness of how he would like to engage with us. And um, I just want to start out by saying something that Dallas Willard once said this, and it really caught my attention back in the days when I was a very, very heady and kind of an intellectual person. He said, Jesus was the most intelligent man that ever walked the earth. And I, I thought, that, that really caught my attention. I never thought about that. He's more intelligent, more brilliant, more genius than people like Einstein. Man, I never really thought about it, but it's true. I mean, the wisdom that came from him. He was mighty in works and word and in teaching. So that must be true. But one of the things that I'm realizing in my older years is that not only is he the most intellectually intelligent man that ever walked the world, the earth. He's the most emotionally mature. He's the most relationally mature and powerful and wise and loving person that ever walked the earth. And he's bringing the presence of God into our human existence so that every part of who we are can be transformed and changed too. And it's because this is the God who is engaging us that change can be different so that we can really become well, and we can go from one strength to another. So let's just spend a little bit of time in the passage here. Um, the context is that these disciples, they're in a pretty dire situation. Their actual life circumstances that are in play are painful, and it really hits close to home for them if um, Tradition says that Clopas or Cleopas was actually the brother of Joseph. That was Jesus' adopted father, adoptive father. And, and that means that these two disciples, I mean, they're really shaken by this experience. If you can imagine one of your nephews going through this. And they're experiencing it, though, without hope, really. I mean, they're leaving Jerusalem. They're leaving the place where everything had happened, and they're bewildered. And they, they're confused and they're actually alone and, and they don't have the wisdom to know how to make sense of it and yet they're trying to do that isolated and alone, apart from Jesus. But Jesus is actually with them, even in that. He settles up alongside of them, right there, right in the midst of their confusion and their loneliness and their sense of isolation and desolation. And I want to say that that's still true for us. I don't care what state of life you're in right now. Jesus is right here with you and he wants to engage you and he's doing everything in his power to engage with you in the in, in exactly the way that you need him to engage with you so that your life is touched and transformed it's the personal power it is powerful and love of the risen Christ that comes to them in a very personal and relational way it comes to them and that is Jesus' way. It's a way of coming to us in our humanity, even the part of our humanity that can be confused and suffering, and to bring resurrection light into it. And it's a light that doesn't ever go dim. I want to um, share just briefly a picture that um, became really meaningful to me when I first came back to the Lord because I, I really was caught up in a dark way of being. I was trying to wrestle out my own way of living, and I even had this whole project. I want to figure out the art of living, you know. There's a lot of us that do that, and that's our, our internet is full of that kind of thing. And I really wasn't having any success, and it's kind of like those disciples. They're, they're almost arguing. They're so frustrated. They're trying to hammer it out and figure it out. How could this be? 
And what happened to me was the Lord touched my heart at that point in my life, and I encountered the resurrected Lord, and that changed suffering for me forever. It wasn't that it was that, that suffering didn't exist anymore. It's just that I knew that Jesus could be with me in that suffering. So the cross, of course, is this incredible picture of, of an ancient torture instrument, right? That's the shape of this block right here. When I first came back to the Lord, I was so filled with the resurrection light, I wanted to get a whole bunch of crosses that had the risen Lord on them. And there's a lot of people who go through renewal. I was talking to the person in the bookstore at the time, and they said, I don't know what it is. Everybody who's part of the renewal, they all want a picture of the risen Christ on the cross. He said, but they also want something else, and this is a new one for me. So they, they also want this thing, that's, it's like a cruciform cross. And they like it because then light shines through that in a very personal way, the way in which Jesus took on suffering and even death. Now light shines through it. And I, and I loved it, so I picked it up. The only thing I don't like about it is it loses a little bit of the personal dimension, right? But it speaks to us, I think in many ways, the way the Lord wants to speak to us now, that he is so deeply present to us in the middle of our whatever. Sometimes it is deeply suffering. Sometimes it is the cross that we bear. And um, he comes in to transform us, not according to the ways of the world. I'll draw a couple contrasts here. The way that Jesus draws near to them, he's drawing near to them in, in all of their feelings. Their feelings are actually quite strong, and they are frustrated, and they're kind of like, how could this be? We really thought that he was the Messiah, and they're trying to make sense of it and rectify it according to their own light and their own wisdom and their own insight. And they're trying to put it behind them, too. And I think, um, you know, that's just not going to work. So you're just like you're trying to force it. You're trying to figure it out intellectually. Now, Jesus still cares about you when you're caught up in the midst of that, when you've got all these feelings and you're trying to force it. But he doesn't just meet you strictly on those terms. Not strictly. He will actually care enough about you, even in that, that he'll address that part of it. But he'll go way deeper at the same time. And that's why I think he, he engages them the way that he does. Another way that I could put it, if I... If I can be tapping into a little bit of our cultural milieu right now, the, in the culture right now, there's this whole phenomenon called like hacking. Have you seen that on the internet? It's like biohacking and neurohacking. And the concept is, it's like taking some of the, you know, it used to be that if you had a, a, a software system or a website, say, somebody could hack into it and they could steal your stuff. All the private information, for instance. They could steal your intellectual capital, your property, or whatever. And um, it became much more positive, though. So, like, I'm, a, you know, I'm getting older, and I like this kind of concept of neurohacking. And neurohacking is this idea, you know, as you get older, you have a cognitive decline. Everything declines when you get older. All sorts of pain and inflammation. But one of the things that, that I'm really aware of is that I can't remember things as I used to. You know, and even now I forget things, half of the sermon, right? <laughs> and that, I'm like, boy, I gotta, I gotta hack into this and figure this out. I've read all kinds of articles on neurohacking, all kinds of vitamin Bs and precursors to vitamin B that I can take. And if I just take it, I'll be better, you know? And I think that um, <laughs> Jesus is not a hacker. I mean, he has the power to heal me, and, and he's so different from me. Like, what I would want to do if I was walking alongside them, I would just jump up and say, ta-da! <laughs> it's me, I'm here! He keeps their eyes closed. So they don't recognize them. 
He doesn't just give them a pill to fix them. He doesn't just give them a shot in the arm, right? He's okay with the fact that they might think that way to begin with. And he does meet them on their terms to a certain extent, but he really wants to do something far deeper. I mean, he's the great physician, so he actually knows how to heal, but he has such a great bedside manner that he heals the whole person. He doesn't just want to redeem them in terms of making their heads okay, or making their emotions okay, or making the fact that they're physical creatures who could suffer and die okay. He wants to deal with all of it, right? And so he relates to them. And his life, his resurrection life, starts to permeate every aspect of their humanity. But also, um, I want to say, not only is he not a hacker, snapping his fingers, abruptly changing everything, part of the reason he's not so abrupt is I actually think to address the heart, to address the motivations that have led them out of Jerusalem, he has to come alongside them in a very attentive and emotional way too. And so I think about this especially, remember the story of Lazarus? It always puzzled me as to why he stays away for a few days and then his dear close friend Lazarus dies and Mary and Martha are beside themselves. Lazarus is already in the tomb and Jesus shockingly weeps. He weeps. That's how much he cares about the emotional state of our brokenness and our fallenness. He weeps with them. And then he actually solves the problem too. This is a deeply moving way of love, a deeply relational epiphany, a manifestation of God's power that Jesus is showing. So he comes alongside them in this very attentive, very right with you kind of a way, and he engages them. And that does include some challenge. He does help them to re-narrate their lives and everything that has happened. I think this is one of the reasons why this is such a meaningful passage for Ophir, why that place was so meaningful for him. Because as a Jewish believer, the Old Testament scriptures have always been very meaningful to him. And, and yet he found life in Jesus. And then all of a sudden, those Old Testament scriptures started to be permeated with life as if Jesus and God were addressing him right through them. And it all started to come together. And Jesus is he's challenging them. You know, they're, oh, you foolish men, slow of heart to believe. And so he engages them on that except it's with his loving, light-filled presence so that they can actually retell the story in the light of the whole gospel good news work that he wanted to do. And it, one of the things that you have to understand about this, when he says foolish, it's, it means that you just don't know. You have not known. And you need to know. And it needs to become a very experiential, powerful way of knowing. And it, then he says, your hearts are slow. The heart is the instrument which like, can actually get close to somebody. You're slow to trust, and that's a very personal word. And he's engaging them at such a personal level, and then he unfolds the scriptures in that context, in a very personal way, engaging them personally. And that's when um, they say later, they acknowledge, did not our hearts burn? 
when he started to unpack those scriptures. It's burning, like the way um, when the word of God would come to the prophets of old, it would burn in their bones. The way that the lights started to form as words in the heavenlies according to the Jewish tradition. And then those words of the law, the Ten Commandments, started to come down and be burned into those stones. It's like the words that Jesus is speaking are being writ with the fiery finger of God right into their hearts. Did not their hearts burn? You know, they didn't say, hey, did a light bulb go off for you? And did you get a lot of new insight there? No, their hearts were burning. This is a powerful encounter with the Lord in the midst of scriptures. And scriptures then are no longer just informational, they're transformational. This conversation isn't just about imparting new ideas, it's about changing hearts, the inner springs of their motivation. And that's such a different way of change, isn't it? Because they just, they didn't need to recalculate their lives. They didn't need to recalibrate themselves and then make a, an intelligent decision about, well, maybe we should go back to Jerusalem. They needed to be motivated, and they didn't need a lot of urging at that point. I mean, after they had communion, they wanted to go back to Jerusalem. And they wanted to go so badly that they, it was a rapid wanting. I mean, talk about power in the heart at this point. Jesus didn't have to coax them into going back to Jerusalem. They went that night, and they, they had already sought shelter. And so he addresses us at the heart level. And things change. It's so different than what we're used to when we come into this resurrection light. I say one other thing is that he engages them in such a way that they engage back with him. And he does this a lot, you know. It's like I stand at the door and knock if anyone opens to me. He's knocking to engage. And, and he does it in kind of a cool way this time. He's such a, a, a master of the relational way of being. He keeps on walking as if to go. And they urge him to stay. He's awakened in their heart. He's evoked in their heart their ability to engage. And so they do. So once again, the relational dimension is so opened up so that the healing can happen at the depths, so that transformation can happen in a profound and complete all life permeating way. And then they go back to Jerusalem and they experience them in that communion, that moment where their, their eyes actually do finally open because he's saying the very words of communion, I want you to do this in remembrance of me. He's holding up the bread and sharing with them the chalice and their eyes are open and it's communion. It's such a communion with God that they're so inspired and so motivated they want to go back to Jerusalem and say, those women were right. They're right. And we're filled with light. no. I didn't even mean to rhyme that. Every part of their lives is now different. And what's so cool about it is that as they go back together then and they tell the story and Simon Peter tells the story and the women have been telling the story, then Jesus appears again. And he's right there with them. And they relate to him. And every time, friends, since then, that we remember him in these ways, that we open up the scriptures in the spirit because what Jesus has done for us now in the power of the resurrection, those first fruits of the life that he really wants us to live is that by the Holy Spirit in a more deep way even, we can know him in the way that disciples knew him. We can relate to him and be changed in ways that we couldn't have done on our own. That's how this can happen. And then from that point on, every time in every moment, 
can be filled with the presence of God and, en- and be an engagement with a God who changes us. That's why I'm excited about this series, is that this isn't just isolated moments. This is meant to become a whole path of life and a whole way of life that we're invited to interact with the Lord and engage with him so that he can change us. And one of the ways this was brought home to me is that I've just so loved this way of being. Um, it's changed the way that sometimes suffering in life feels to me because I know that Jesus is with me. It changes the way I do Lent because when I fast, I feast, right? And it changes everything. Like even yesterday when I was, I was with, it was two days ago actually, I brought Noah to college. And we've been praying and, and feeling like the Lord's leading um, Noah to go to Wheaton College. But it was a real act of faith because we just didn't, we don't have all the money. We didn't have all the money. And there was an extra $10,000 that we had to come up for this semester, right? I was like, man, that's a big bill. But no, the Lord's really calling us to do it. And he's saying, trust me. Don't you know that I'm going to take care of you? Trust me. So we walk with him. And we get him enrolled. And then we actually take him to Wheaton. And we're there that day. Every part of that day was a confirmation. It was like he was saying, see, didn't I tell you? We took him into his room. It was on the fourth floor of Traber. It's the same floor as the son of my bishop, his good friend Ellison, is living on. See, didn't I tell you? I'm with you. I'm working with you. I've prepared this. I've laid it all out. We're sitting and listening to a little discussion on finances, and I'm still thinking, man, how are we going to get that 10000 I know I could take out an extra loan, those high interest loans, but man, how are we going to do it? We get a text from Jeannie saying we have just received a gift that covers a huge portion of it. See, I'm with you. I'm taking care of you. I'm with you to change you and to bless you every step of your way in your life. This is the path of life that I want you to walk on. That's what we have before us in these next weeks, friends. It's a whole way of life that we're entering into. I hope, you, I hope you will join us and sign up for the groups. If you haven't done so yet, please do so. I think he will meet you exactly where you are and you'll learn a way of walking with him that'll be permeated with light. It will change you. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, amen.